Hi, welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. I'm Laura. And today we're going to be talking about one of the weirdest cases that's probably ever happened in Kentucky. It is the Kelly Hopkinsville incident encounter or the case of the Kentucky Goblins. And so I did research a little bit different with this one because normally I go like like I go through like a timeline then I go back and forth through different like sources right well this time instead of doing that I went through one source wrote down notes and then I went through another source and did footnotes where that source differed okay so my original source was uh, a book called Alien Legacy by Geraldine Sutton Stith and it's available on Amazon for like four bucks. Like okay. it's a like it's pretty good purchase for four bucks. And it's basically what happened from the perspective of her dad, who was one of the participants, one of the main participants. And then I went back and did research through a book called Close Encounter at Kelly by Isabel Davis. And she was a UFO investigator who went in and interviewed the like the people who were there like a couple of years later. Okay. And published the and published that. It's time to wake up. Oh yeah, it's past time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the story starts on August twenty first, nineteen fifty five, at the Sutton Family Farmhouse in Kelly, Kentucky. Kelly is a small, unincorporated town about seven miles north of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, or Hoptown, as we sometimes call it. So, there were 11 people at the Sutton farmhouse that night, and their names were not Sutton, but that's what people called them, because it was just a, a convenient term. So, there was, first of all, there was Glennie Lankford. The, she was the matriarch of the Sutton Lankford clan. Uh, so she had been married to Mr. Sutton, and then after his death, she married Mr. Lankford, and he had also passed away. Okay. So she was a double widow, and she was 50. So she had had all this ha- happen to her. Like, double widow? Yeah. 50? Yeah. Holy crap. So her son, Elmer Lucky Sutton, who was 25, uh... And Elmer's wife, Lucky's wife, Vera, who was uh, 29. Okay. So, there was John Charlie Sutton, or J.C., who was 21, and his wife, Aileen, who was 27. All right. Now, Aileen's brother was a guy named O.P. Baker, and he often stayed at the farmhouse because his job, it was easier for somebody to pick him up to get him to work. If he stayed at the farmhouse. Okay. So that was where he would stay a lot of the time. That's fair. And, okay. Billy Ray Taylor. And he was a friend of Lucky's. And I believe he was 21. I didn't write that down. I don't know why. Uh, His wife, June, was 18. And then, so that's all the adults that were there. Okay. And there were three children. um, And they were children of Glennie Langford and her husband, her Langford husband. Okay. Uh, Lonnie, who was 12, Charlton, who was 10, and Mary, who was 7. Alright, so her husband must not have died too long before that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the house did have electricity, but it was in, like, it was in an unincorporated town. It was there was no running water. Uh, it did. It was a subsistence farm. Uh, they basically just got by with it. They grew some. To, they it wasn't a big farm. They grew some tobacco and then they grew vegetables and food for themselves. Um, That's kind of the dream, though, isn't it? Just to uh, have a self sufficient farm, just I enough mean, for you to get by. Like, if that's like what worked, you know. And I, I mean. Um, so the house had three rooms. It had a living room. It had a bedroom, which was separated from the living room by a hallway. And it had a kitchen, uh, addition, which was, uh, reached by going down, 
a few steps from the living room. And so they cooked on a kerosene stove. Oh, my. And they had a small refrigerator. Uh, they also had an outhouse. Oh. Uh, they did not have a phone. They did not have a radio. They had no TV. Um, yeah, the new cat's going nuts. <sighs> All right. So here's part of the problem with this whole story is Lucky and Billy Ray worked at a traveling carnival. Okay. So, they had gotten permission from their boss to ride down from Evansville to visit Glennie and the rest of Lucky's family. So, the carnival background of Lucky and Billy Ray uh, led some people to color their opinions of the veracity of what the family was had experienced. Um, while most people believe the family, uh, Billy Ray was seen by many investigators as the least reliable person there. Uh, he elaborated on his descriptions of what happened, mm -hmm. which we'll find out, uh, and enjoyed the limelight that the event brought, whereas the other witnesses were appalled by all the notoriety. Um, but yeah, the carnival background is really an issue because there's a lot of like classism going on with yeah, this. Yeah, I can see that. And That's... they are, yeah, there's some, yeah. It's not great. No, it's not ideal. I mean, I really want to go, like, I really want to di deep dive into this, but I mean, I'm just going to go off, so. I'm just going to go off on some people, and I'm not going to do that. But just to let you know, <laughs> this is going to, this is also going to come into it at certain points. Okay. All right. Okay. So, Lucky had not had the easiest life. Um, he had left home early because his dad had had, quote unquote, had a temper and had not always been able to support the family. Okay. But he'd always managed to keep his head above water, so he'd gotten the nickname Lucky. And he'd invited Billy Ray and June to come with him to visit his home because the two men had been friends ever since they'd met. All right. Um, Lucky was the dominant personality by far on the farm, according to Isabel. Like, people looked to him to take charge. And even his younger brother, who usually led things when when Lucky wasn't around. Like, mm -hmm. when Lucky got there, he was like, meh, do it, you know. Do whatever he do says. Do whatever he says. Alright, so. J.C. and his wife worked the farm with Glennie. And even though, like, they weren't, like, nobody here was educated. They were, like, they had maybe tops of fourth grade education. Um, they were trying to buy the house. They had saved up money, and they were trying to buy the house and the farm and some farm equipment so it would be theirs. Um, so, Lucky, Vera, Billy Ray, and June, they arrived at the Sutton Farmhouse on August 20th, which was a Saturday. And on uh, Sunday, some of the family went to church. The men went hunting in the afternoon. Some of them went to visit other family members. So when they got home, supper was on was getting ready to be on the table. So, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile. okay, <laughs> at about six thirty p.m., several eyewitnesses independently saw a light or lights heading north. Ford Kelly. A state trooper saw two lights heading there and they sounded like artillery fire uh, followed by a whining sound. Huh. A farmer uh, watched a light go over his house headed toward the Sutton Farm and someone at Fort Campbell Army Base which is close by saw a light traveling over the Army Base. Uh, none of these people however came forward until well after the Kelly Hawkinsville incident happened and was reported hmm. and became notorious okay also two boys who lived down the road saw a buzzing light fly over their farm and they assumed it was aircraft from fort campbell yeah 
Uh, so back at the Sutton farmhouse, the main area here, the group had dinner, and then the men started playing cards while the women washed the dishes. So Billy Ray decided that he needed a drink of water, uh, and since there was no indoor plumbing, he had to go to down to a well to get it. Yeah. Uh, no one wanted to go with him, so he went by himself. Uh, so while he was getting the water, he noticed a light moving across the sky. Um, it was round, it was metallic, and it had streaks shooting out behind it that were the color of the rainbow. Oh. So, uh, you know, a uh, LGBTQ-friendly yeah. UFO here. Uh, he saw Lucky's dog run across the yard and hide under the house. Uh, it moved behind a grove of trees and settled in a gully. So, Billy Ray grabbed the water, which, I mean, I couldn't believe that part, and hurried back to the house. I would have been like, oh, forget this. I'll just, I need my water. I need my water first. I'm getting that, whatever happens. It's why I came I'm out getting, here. It's, it's why I came out here in the first place. I'm getting it, goddammit. I came back without it. So, uh, Isabel Davis' account said that he ran into the house uh, exclaiming about the bright light he'd seen, but the family didn't believe him and didn't even consider investigating it. But then they saw from the house, they saw his dog run under the porch about half an hour later. So, the dog ran under the porch. It's just a question of when. Yeah. And that was what cued them into... According to her, that was what cued them into the fact that something was well, actually wrong. Yeah, because yeah. dogs don't normally just run yeah. and hide under exactly. the porch for no reason. But, uh, according to Geraldine, the participants in, of the house realized that something had happened because Billy Ray's face was white and he was clearly disturbed. He was hesitant to tell them what was wrong because he thought no one would believe him, which he was correct on them. Yeah. And uh, they didn't. They thought that he was making something up because Lucky had played supposedly played a trick on him earlier that night. Oh. And he was trying to get, they thought he was trying to get back at Lucky. Um, but finally, Lucky agreed to go outside and look around with him. And at first they didn't see anything. Uh, Lucky didn't really know whether to believe Billy Ray or not. And they were both headed back inside. When they noticed something walking towards the house uh, from the woods out back. Uh, it was about three and a half feet long. Had two glowing yellow eyes. Its arms were in the air like it was surrendering or something. And it seemed to be floating instead of walking. And this made both men run terrified into the house. So that was according to what Geraldine Sutton Stith said. Okay. Um... There is not a whole lot of description of the creature in her book. But Isabel Davis said it was three and a half feet tall, had an oversized round head, arms that almost reached the ground, with hands that were described several times as being like claws. So she got a much bigger, better description from the witnesses, the other witnesses. Right. Okay. So now the occupants of the house really did not know what to think. Yeah. They couldn't really believe the men, but it did seem like something weird had happened to them. Well, yeah. Like, obviously. However, everyone else started to get really alarmed when Lucky got out his guns. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I'm getting my guns. I'm getting my guns. And they were all, it sounds like they were all shotguns except for one, which they said was a pistol that one of them had brought back from, that had come back from the war. Okay. So, I don't think any, they weren't in the war, but probably one of their dads was, so that's where that had come from. Okay. All right. So, Glenny was like, I don't know what's going on. So, she decided to put the younger children to bed, and they were like... 
We don't want to go to bed. Come on. See what's going on, yeah. Mom. Come we on. We want to see what's going on. And she's like, no, kids. Go to bed. Yeah. There, there's guns coming out. It's time for bed. So, meanwhile, one of the neighbors, one of the farm's neighbors to the north, had seen lights in the woods. And they thought maybe the Suttons and the Langfords had had some of their livestock get loose. So, the neighbor grabbed a flashlight and started out to give them a hand. Oh, nice neighbor. Wait for it. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lucky sent Billy Ray to the back door with a gun, and he himself stood guard by the front door. So, Glenny decided to go talk to Billy Ray since she didn't think that Lucky would tell her what was going on. Because okay. he was that kind of person. He was, like, going to keep things from people. Yeah. And protect them. Uh, but she hoped that she could get Billy Ray to talk. And at least she wanted some idea of what they had seen. So she went by the back door with Billy Ray for a while. And suddenly they saw the, the three and a half foot figure with its arms up in the air. And it was silver. Okay. Alright. So Glenny screamed and... She, so she was squatted down, and she was kind of like, so she was 50, she was squatted down. She wasn't super used to being squatted down, so she fell over. Oh, so Glenny. Poor Glenny. So, she screamed, and... Fell over. Yeah, <laughs> fell over. Uh, he shot through the screen door at it. Jesus. And he went outside on the back porch, and when everyone else came running in, they saw a clawed hand reach out for him. Oh. And Aileen pulled him away and back into the house. Um, Lucky went outside and shot at the creature, which had climbed up onto the roof. And whatever it was, like, it rolled off the roof and floated off in the room. And, no, like, into the woods. No time did this thing, like, seem like it had legs. It floated. What like the it, yeah. hell? Yeah. Oh, that's really strange. Oh, yeah. Um, so, according to Isabel Davis, uh, though, Lucky and Billy Ray shot at the creature through the back door of the house. Then they went into the living room and shot at the being through the window. They Then they went outside to see if they'd hit the creature. And that is where the others saw the claw-like hand reach down for him. Okay. So the claw-like hand was in there. It's just in a different place. All right. And um, it's also worth noting, according to Isabel Davis, that the creature seemed like they could move very quickly. So, it's possible that there were actually only maybe one, two, three, like that kind of area. It seemed like there were more, but they could move very, very quickly. But some sources claim that there were up to 15. That seems very exaggerated, though. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. It's a far cry from two or three. Yeah. So, the neighbor who was going to help round up the livestock heard the gunshots and decided to turn around and go home. <laughs> Can you blame him, though? No. <laughs> Not really. Oh, nope, they're no, shooting. I'm, I'm they're going shooting. home. I'm going home. Uh, the local, there was a local boy who was riding his bike home, and he had stopped by the house of a little girl that he liked. Oh. I know. So, she and I guess her sister, like... There were two girls there, and they came to the door and started talking to him, and they asked if he'd heard the noises coming from the Sutton farm, and he said no, so they stood and listened for a while, and eventually they heard gunfire, and they heard men shouting at each other, so the boy, like, he's just like, okay, I'm out, and he pedaled home as fast as he could. I'm going home. I'm out. I'm done. I'm a ghost. I'm vapor. Alright, so, at this point in the Sutton farmhouse, everyone was awake and terrified. So, Lucky told his wife to get the children into the back, that back bedroom. Yeah. But before she could do that, another shot rang out. JC had shot at one of the creatures through the front window with a 20-gauge shotgun. And Billy Ray shot at it again, and it flipped it did a flip and ran away. And Glenny was so terrified that she started to pray. 
according oh. to Geraldine. Oh, poor Glenny. Um, yeah. um, so that was what happened whenever it quote unquote got hit was it would do a flip, a, like a backflip, and then it would just go away. And then it would come back, Ooh. and if it would, yeah. It, like, I don't know of anything that's done this in any other. No. Yeah. It's, this oh, is yeah. so odd. So, Lucky again told Vera to get the kids away. And he decided that he and Billy Ray were going to go outside and confront these creatures whatever they were yeah <laughs> so they were in the front yard jc and alien's brother op op baker and glenny were watching from the house so they saw one of the creatures in a maple tree that was in the front yard they both shot at it and it fell out of the tree but it didn't drop it just floated down and another creature came around the corner of the house, and Lucky shot it. He said it sounded like a metal bucket being hit. Huh. And he couldn't believe that he was shooting at them with a 12-gauge shotgun and was seemingly doing no damage. Yes. Uh, Billy Ray kept asking what the creatures were, and Lucky didn't know. He didn't care. He just wanted them off his property. And away from his house and his family. Glennie thought they didn't mean any harm, but Lucky did not want to take that chance. Yeah. Maybe they were just, like, survey yeah. drones. It's possible. That I mean, would explain why they were, like, just floating. Yeah. They were just kind of there to inspect things. Yeah. So, Lucky had concluded that these beings didn't like lights being shown at them. So, they decided to turn all the lights on. Uh, everyone came back into the living room at that point due to all the fear and confusion. Uh, suddenly they heard scratching on the roof and Lucky decided that he'd had it. He was going to go shoot one of these things, whatever happened. So he went outside, he shot it. Uh, again, it floated away and ran into the woods. Well, it didn't um, run. Floated. It floated. Floated so, quickly into the woods. Yeah. Um, when they fired at this creature from the kitchen roof, according to Isabel Davis, which this is where it was from, uh, the creature actually floated across to the fence, which was about 40 feet away, and then it ran away from there. So it didn't even float down. It floated across it was like, in this Whoa. case. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> At that point, Lucky decided that there was only one option for this family, and they had to get the hell out of there. That was their only option. So, they waited until it had been real quiet for a while, and they hadn't seen any of the creatures. They ran outside, they jumped, they had two, like, I think pickup trucks or cars, well, they had two vehicles, they jumped. Everybody oh my God. jumped in the cars and they took off for Hopkinsville. And this was at about 11 o'clock. So they'd been fighting these creatures for about three hours Jesus. at this point. Uh, so <laughs> the police obviously had no idea what to think when an entire family ran into the station and claimed that they had been fighting Little Silver Moon online. <laughs> <laughs> However, the desk sergeant... Which, good for him. Um, he actually felt like whatever had they were saying, they were legitimately terrified. So he called the chief of police, who was Russell Greenwell. Uh, Russell Greenwell himself had been an eyewitness to a UFO oh. encounter in 1952. So he had gone down to Kentucky Lake to visit his sister because she was opening a business down there. And on his way back, he and several other drivers had stopped in the road uh, to watch an oval craft, which remained overhead for about 40 minutes Oh, uh, before it flew away quickly. And he actually drove back to Kentucky Lake and learned that 75 to 100 people had seen the same thing. Holy crap. Uh, he, had, he hadn't he had told very many people about his sighting. 
because he didn't want to get a reputation as a kook. But his mother was also a full full Sony Indian mem- Indian tribe member. Okay. So he also knew something about like prejudice and people not believing yeah. you and as well. So he was definitely like he was a good person to have in this case. On their case. side, yeah. yeah. So when Greenwell got to the station, he listened to the family's story. Uh he decided to go out to the farm to see what was going on. Um for himself. Uh, so he also <laughs> he also contacted several uh, agencies to help him out. He called the Kentucky State Police. He called the Christian County Sheriff's Office. And he called the Fort Campbell Nate Army Base. Oh, wow. So they all sent people to help investigate. And the Sheriff's Office also called the photographer for the local newspaper, who was the Kentucky New Era, which was the Kentucky New Era. All right. All the law enforcement officials and the family hurried to the Sutton Farm, and that was all but one. And that would be uh, Billy Ray's wife, June. Okay. She was too terrified to go back at that point. So she stayed at the station, and she waited until someone would give her a ride back, because she just wasn't going to go back at all. Oh, my. She, She got a ride back, like, later in the morning or the night. Jesus. Yeah. Um... There are some things at this point that people agreed upon, whether they were skeptical about the story or not. And one was that something certainly scared the family that night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Even diehard skeptics who don't believe any of the story admitted that the family was terrified. Uh, Everyone agreed that the fear was genuine. Uh, Isabel Davis actually tells the story about a man who was a medic and he rode back to the Sutton house with Billy Ray Taylor. Um, so he was watching the guy, Billy Ray's neck and watching the pulse beat in his neck. He timed it at 140 beats per minute. Oh my God. And he said, whatever, whatever else happened, like you, that's not something you can fake. No, it's not. So, um, Like, they were certainly scared of something. The question was what? And um, Isabel Davis also said that there was another incident of a state trooper seeing a UFO uh, that happened right then nearby. Not just before all this started, but it happened, like, right at that point. Yeah. Holy crap. Um, So, when everybody got to the farm, they looked around for any sign of the creatures. Um, there were definitely signs of that something had happened. There were some shell casings. There were holes in the window screens. There was splintered wood. Uh, the women and children actually waited in one of the trucks while the men tried to explain exactly, like, what had happened and where they'd been. Um... And they tried to explain exactly what they were all looking for. Um, So they claimed that the creatures were silver all over, huge eyes. They glowed unless a light shined on them, whereupon they turned a dull metallic. And the glow brightened if they got shot at. Which is kind of weird. That is. (laughs) So the investigators walked around for a few hours. Uh, They didn't see any creatures. Uh, So everybody started getting really frustrated, fed up. Uh, Someone suggested that they looked for for alcohol and they couldn't find any. Uh, They saw a few beer cans, but that was nothing, you know, nothing excessive. Uh, One police officer said that he saw a glow in the woods, but the investigators couldn't find anything. Uh, they also found an odd glowing spot on the ground by by a fence. Um, it was 18 inches in diameter, and it only glowed from one angle. Huh. Yeah. Um, somebody also had found a piece of aluminum foil and was like, oh, here's your monster. And even the chief of police was like, I know that's aluminum foil. I know that's not what they were describing. Yeah. yeah. Um... And apparently the only excitement was when someone stepped on a cat's tail and when it 
when it shrieked, like everybody like jumped <laughs> and started freaking out. Um, it's like the classic, yeah, the comedy scene. Yeah, exactly. Intense silence. Everyone's looking around in the dark. All of a sudden, you hear and you're like, oh my god! Boom, 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 boom. I'm surprised people didn't start shooting. shooting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that would be perfect. Um, so finally, the police chief stopped the search. Uh, the investigators left, and with the chief, he claimed, he told them uh, he'd be by later in the morning to investigate some more. So after the everybody left, the family settled down and tried to get some sleep because at this point it was like what two three in the morning. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, so Lucky slept on the couch, and he was, according to Geraldine's book, he was wondering if he'd made a mistake in going to the police for help because he'd heard some of the comments of the people, some of the people as they'd left. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Didn't they all think that they were just drunk and yeah. drunk rednecks? Yeah. And I remember, because I listened to part of the podcast. Yeah. Um, Astonishing, Astonishing Legends. Legends. And Which they, we highly recommend, by yes. the way. <laughs> they uh, they said Glenny didn't allow. She didn't allow alcohol. In yeah, the house. like no. beer was okay, but nothing real nothing. strong. Yeah, no moonshine. No, no. nothing. No, no bourbon. Yeah. No. Um. So Winnie slept for a little bit. Uh, she was sleeping on a couch which faced a window, and she woke up at about three thirty a.m. And she turned her head and saw one of the creatures in the window. Again, she could not believe that this thing was back. She looked three times. She would turn her head away and look back, turn her head away and look back. She did that three times before uh, she woke Lucky up. A triple take. Yeah. What? 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 (laughs) So he was adamant that he was going to go back out and battle his creatures even though Glenny still believed that they weren't trying to hurt anyone, they were only curious. Yeah. So, another gun battle started, which lasted until about 5.15 a.m. Oh, my. And that was when daylight started breaking. So okay. So, that was where that, like, they don't like the light comes in. Yeah. Um, so, the next day... Uh, obviously, everyone was exhausted. They just decided to try to continue with life as normal. Uh, Lucky, JC, and OP went to Evansville to pick up some furniture. Uh, Billy Ray went out hunting with a friend. And while they were out, he saw two army planes flying over the area. And he believed that they were surveilling the site of the encounter. Uh, weirdly, the incident was never officially reported to the authorities running Project Blue Book, although Chief Greenwell had called in members from the Fort Cammy Army base to help with the in, in, initial investigation. There are documents about the incident in that uh, Army in that in Blue Book, but there was no official report. Okay. Um, and we'll talk about one of the documents here in a little bit. So, when investigators, oh wait, I'm done with that page. So, when investigators returned to the farm in the morning, so that was August 22nd, the women's children were the only ones there because all the men had left. Yeah. So, while some of the investigators basically just tromped around everywhere trying to find stuff, but also further disturbing any evidence. Uh, the police chief and a reporter from the local paper, they, they questioned the women. Uh, the men kept trying to trip the women up, but they told very consistent stories. Uh, the only one who refused to say anything was June, who was still quite traumatized by the night's events. She had made it back. But she was still not going to say anything. She couldn't talk about it. She was it. just done. She was done with this whole... Oh, poor Jane. Yeah. Um, well, she was the one that was 18, right? Yeah. So she was the 
youngest of the adults. Yeah. When the men came back, though, they told the same stories as well. And the only one who seemed to embellish anything was Billy Ray. Mr. Attention yeah. Seeker. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Um, so, local people had heard the rumors about what had gone on. They wanted to come out and view the scene of the action. Uh, so, strangers were actually just walking into their house. That's not cool. Uh, without even knocking, without being asked in. People would even pick up the family's possessions and walk away with them. Like, right in front of them. That's not cool. And some people that night of the 22nd actually camped overnight there to see if the creatures returned. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so, on August 23rd, the same situation prevailed. Uh, Glennie was at the end of her tether. She begged the local and state police to clear the crowds, which they would. But then the sightseers, looky-loos, would just come back and walk onto the farm and walk into the house. So here's where they made, uh, in retrospect, a huge mistake. They decide, family decided to start charging people money to go onto oh. the farm. Yeah. They hoped that that would, like, both books say that they hoped that that would stop the trespassers, and that was why they did it. Yeah, I can I can see uh, that, but... And so they hoped that that would stop everything. People just came in anyway, because there was no way to, like, police people coming in. Mm-hmm. And also, it made it seem like maybe the family had just made it up to make money. Yeah. So they lost out twice with that idea. Um... A man named Andrew Ledworth, and his nickname was Bud. Bud. He talked to the family the day after the incident. He interviewed the principal witnesses, and he got sketches made of what the family claimed they'd seen, and they were actually also remarkably consistent. And also, at one point, investigators from Fort Campbell came to the farm. They showed the family a model of the creature, and Glennie, Glennie commented that they must have known what the creatures looked like to have made a model that was so accurate. Oh. Um, so, eventually, Lucky, Billy Ray, and their wives had to return to the carnival. Uh, Billy Ray and June never returned to the house. Like, they never visited again. Uh, Glennie ended up selling the farm to one of her... She didn't sell it to JC. She sold it to one, like, one of her nieces or nephews or something. And they, uh, rented an apartment in Hopkinsville. Because they couldn't stand the idea of being out there anymore. Oh, God. Um, JC had trouble keeping a job after the incident. And Lucky refused to be interviewed about it. He would say they weren't little green men, they were silver. (laughs) (sighs) So, here are some of the theories and arguments about this. So, alright. The skeptics' arguments are that there were, there's no physical evidence that this happened. Fair. So, um, okay, so they said, well, there were no footprints on the ground. But, but they, they were floating. Oh, yeah. So, there were, there were no marks on the roof. But they were floating. Yeah. And just because you, like, hear scratching doesn't necessarily mean it makes a mark. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I can yeah. scratch. Yeah. There's no physical evidence yeah, that exactly. I scratched. So, I didn't scratch. Exactly. So, there was no blood. No, it, but they were like metal. Right. Yeah, I mean, just because there was, um, I don't know. It just like, proves it wasn't an owl. Yeah. So there were no creatures seen by investigators. Uh, the spaceship that Lucky saw was not found, and there was no sign that any objects had landed. And. Compared to how much they said they shot, only a few shotgun shells were found. Okay, um, that one I can maybe see. Yeah. But it actually doesn't from what like from what Geraldine writes in her book, like she does not write about them like shooting a lot. Okay. So, like 
they shot like maybe three or four times. Okay. So, I mean, that doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so people thought that the holes in the screen had been faked. They thought that it had been faked with a, uh, a tobacco stick. Because you have to prop up tobacco plants sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she found out, or someone found out, that if you use a tobacco stick to poke through the windscreen, it will knock the windscreen out of the, the window. Okay. So, yeah. Wasn't that. That wasn't that. Um, the low status of the family has always led people to doubt it. Of to course. Start with. Uh, they charged admission. That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which we know why they did that. Exactly. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. They supposedly changed their stories, which they didn't. No, they did not. Yeah. And the family had supposedly moved. Because they were terrified. They were terrified. Right. That's, but that's some of the skeptical arguments about this. Ugh, skeptics right. suck. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is my favorite part. Uh, here are some of the theories about oh yeah oh good uh i may save this first one to the last because it's the best okay uh one is hallucinations that they were either drug or alcohol caused although we know there was no real alcohol on the premises or that it was some kind of religious fervor and they all saw the same thing yeah uh one was a hoax just an out out hoax and the investigators were like, no. Like, the sheriff was like, no. No, it's not. Uh, the most common one is owls, which is ridiculous. Which yeah. to me is ridiculous because, yeah. Owls um, aren't silver. Yeah. Owls don't sound like tin. Yeah. An owl would have bled if you shot it. Yeah. And. Well, there's that, like, part three, like. We're never going to do a five-hour deep dive into anything, probably. No. But if you want to go back and listen to the Astonishing Legends podcast, it's really awesome. And it is a five-hour deep dive into this incident. Phew. Yeah. So, but one of the things that they point out, and episode three is like chef kiss awesome, because they go through and talk about how so many of the like there are so many academic articles that cite a paper about the Hopkinsville encounter Mm -hmm. where they talk about the Isabel Davis and Ted Bloker book uh, saying that it was owls and they were drunk nowhere in that book does Isabel Davis say Huh. She she does not list owls anywhere as being one of the huh yeah she doesn't say anything about owls and she doesn't say anything about them drinking having been drinking drinking she does mention that Glenny won't allow alcohol she does okay. mention that well, that's about as close as she gets to mentioning alcohol yeah. them but she doesn't she doesn't mention like she doesn't mention them being drunk at all okay and she doesn't mention owls at all so. Like, how they get this idea that, how these academics get the idea that there were, that this report says, this book says that they were all drunk and it was owls, is, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, (laughs) my favorite theory, get ready. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is that they were escaped monkeys from a circus. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly, there was a circus. There wasn't, but none of this is true. But somebody was like, oh, there could have been a circus in town. And then they were passing through town, and one of the cars got separated from the other. And it just happened to be the monkey car. So they let the monkeys out to, like, get some exercise and go pee. And they got away from them, and then they ran up to this house. No! And then they got shot at. <laughs> but they were wearing little tin shirts, so that's... And then they... Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, we might think that the story is over. And it's not quite, believe it or not. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Although it is, they do have a festival every year, which I think we need to go to. Not yes. obviously not this year because we're not going anywhere. Cause Corona. Yeah, 
da 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 I mean, I'm not saying we rewrote that song, but we did. Okay. Uh, So, we're going to talk about some of my favorite people in the paranormal world. And that's Greg and Dana Newkirk. If I had, like, I have a very short list of people. Well, I have a long, like, ideal list of people that we could have on our podcast. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch is on that (laughs) list. (laughs) My more realistic list is way shorter. And right after uh, John Tenney, who I think is the best person in the paranormal field. Like, I love him. He's the best. Um, Greg and Dana Newkirk are right underneath him. They have, uh, like, they have a website. They're the ones that have the museum of the, the traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult. Okay. Like... They're awesome, but they've started, like, they've started working with this idea that, like, all the paranormal worlds are interactive. Okay. Like, normally, like, ghost people don't really talk to cryptid people, and cryptid people don't really talk to alien people, and alien people don't really talk to psychics and all that sort of stuff. They're working on more of a theory that everything's interconnected. Yeah, it's all one big... Yeah. Paranormal Cinematic Universe. So, in 2012, uh, Greg Newkirk began receiving emails to uh, an email address attached to the website of his old ghost hunting group, like from when he was a teenager. Uh, They purported to be from a man named David Christie, who was experiencing goblin activity similar to... The Hopkinsville Goblin uh, on his property in a place called Hellier, Kentucky. <gasps> oh yes, <laughs> Hellier is actually on the other side of the state from Kelly. Uh, but the description of what David Christie said he'd seen was similar to the Hopkinsville Goblins that the Suttons and Langfords had seen. Okay, and he had sent like he sends them pictures, and they've got the pictures on there, and they are like they're eerie. Um, so, David Christie claimed that the creatures he'd seen had come from an old mine entrance on his property. And he said he'd been given Greg's email by a man named Terry Wrist. So, they started looking for Terry Wrist. And an online search revealed that the only place the name Terry Wrist could be found was in an appendix of a book called The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. By Alan Greenfield. And that appendix talks about... A, I mean... Okay, here we go. Talks about a gang of Vietnam veterans... Who roamed the country... Exterminating groups of aliens that live in caves. Oh my god. Yeah. So, Geraldine Sutton-Stith also says that there were caves on that farm. Or near that farm. Okay. And, of course, Hopkinsville is right near Mammoth Cave. Oh, um, so I like this show is two seasons long and there is not enough time in the world for me to summarize it. I just say that I've watched the first season like multiple times. It's excellent. The second season I'm into like I'm on episode three. I need to keep watching, but it's really good as well. We may have lunchtime viewing for. Yeah. It's excellent. It's excellent. I haven't even watched the first season yet. It's excellent. It's, like, it's all about, too, it's all about how, like, synchronicities and things happening, Mm -hmm. why they do when they do. Um, So, but the show ties together uh, these David Christie goblins to Mothman, Brown Mountain, (gasps) and Kelly Hoppinsville in a sort of a unified theory. Nice. So, and also some trivia. Um, the the 62nd anniversary of the encounter was also the date of the most recent total solar eclipse, and Hopkinsville was the site of t- longest totality. Oh! And Hopkinsville was also the birthplace of our old buddy, Edgar Casey, the sleeping boop, boop. prophet. And See episode... Three? Three, I think. Four. 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 Okay. Anyway. Uh, and according to... This one I just heard, like, yesterday. According to documents from Project Blue Book, or one document, 
It was a letter from one uh, army lieutenant to another army person uh, talking about the Hopkinsville encounter. Uh, the Hopkinsville area had been the scene of a UFO report from about nine months before that. Huh. Which had had several witnesses. Huh. The Army lieutenant who'd investigated that incident <laughs> had believed, incorrectly, huh. I'm, I'm throwing that in there, had believed that the Suttons had heard of the previous incident <clears throat> and had imitated it. Oh. But here's a reminder, the Suttons and Langfords had no radio, TV, or phone. Yeah. So, there you go. And that's a shortened version of the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. I feel like, I really feel like they were drones. Like, survey drones from the, Somewhere. From the UFO. Yeah. They were just coming down to check it out. Yeah. And obviously it wasn't safe for the aliens to come yeah. down. I mean, you gotta applaud their... I mean, yeah, you got to applaud their uh, stick to Yeah. Because, like, they just kept coming. Yeah. They were getting shot at, and they're just like, man. I'm going to fl- turn a flip and float away. But that was our not-so-deep dive into the Kelly Hopkins villain counter. That was a good story. I like that. It was pretty decent. It was, yeah. Yeah. And no one, like, the dog lived. The dog came out from under the house the next day. Okay. He was fine. Nobody, like, the family's obviously terrified, but no one died. Yeah. I mean, unlike many of our other stories. Unfortunately. Yeah. Even the funny ones. Cassius Clay. (laughs) I mean. Connor and John. Yeah. (laughs) R.I.P. Hashtag (laughs) R.I.P. Hashtag R.I.P. Yes. What are we what are we doing next week? I haven't decided yet. I don't know. I'm sure we'll find something creepy. So, yeah. I want to try to avoid murder for a minute because Betty Gale really murder for a hot second. Oh no, Betty, Betty Gale. Betty Gale took it out of me, man. Uh, yeah, that was hot. That was that was sad. That was a really sad, rough one. Betty Gale, that was sad. All right. Well, in the meantime, if you have any ideas, send yeah. us an email. We're creepykentucky at gmail.com. Yes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at creepykentucky. Yeah. I, I post more on the Instagram than the Twitter, but... Well, we're going to need to get some pictures of this. Yeah. We definitely will. Yeah. Because um, there are some, like, there's some amazing, when I was telling you about the guy that had done the drawings, mm-hmm. there's some amazing drawings. And there's also pictures of, like, the family, like, posing and showing where okay. things had happened. It's nice. really, like, yeah. cool. Yeah. So check out our Instagram for those. And until then, Kentucky. What, what the, the hell? hell?